What is going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Orange Slices. I'm one of your hosts, Heath Pierce, alongside my co-host, Mark McKenzie. Mark, man, what's going on, man? Hey, man, just enjoying some of this sunshine and rain every other day in 60-degree weather and 20-degree weather, you know, every morning and evening. I am beautiful Belgium. What can I say? It's living the life. Yeah, people can't see it, but I can see it. There's light. There is light in, in coming from somewhere in your place right now, which is uh, you know. I mean, normally we 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 record later in the evening so you can get your gaming in before you know, kind of get the vibe going. But I see light coming in right now. Yeah, man. I think people have this perception of, of Europe being this dark, gloomy place. It rains, you know, all the time. No, man. There's a lot of light. You know, I think maybe I brought it over with me when I came from the states. I don't know. I'm not gonna, you know, just leave that in the you know, leave in the atmosphere, but. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful sunshine hitting my, my my melanin right now. It's hard, man, when you when you move first move abroad, and you know Philly's not exactly like the, the the nicest of winters either. But it's home, right? And and it just feels different. The air smells different every single day. You know, the darkness changes at different times, and that's a lot to to take into an adjustment when you've also got you're fully focused on arriving at a new club, performing well. And then like, you know, there's a lot of times, especially during COVID that you're just alone, right? You don't, it's, it's just, it's, uh, it's the sun uh, is, is, as simple as it sounds changes a lot of that for, for at least, at least it did for me. Well, I'm glad the weather's getting better. It changes everything. So let's talk about uh, our recent guest that, that came on, which, which everybody's about to hear, uh, Eddie Pope, just, uh, unbelievable guy, you know? And, and I, I, I didn't, I didn't go full, like, uh, mentorship in in the podcast about what he did for me but he did things that 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 were just real I was really appreciative of, of as a young man and I was I was around your age when I when I got called into the national team and and got to experience just sitting with him in vans and and he's just such an insightful guy and he's done a lot for the game um not just for the game of soccer but obviously uh for black and brown communities as well yeah I think that that connection that you have with somebody or somebody you can lean on or, or just talk to, you know, about stuff that's deeper than football or outside of the game. You know, I think those are always the the people that, that kind of influence us, you know, in, in ways we, we really can't imagine, you know, when you really step into the football industry. So, you know, to have a guy, I mean, I looked up to him, you know, as a kid coming up in, in American football, it's like, yeah, Eddie Pope is, is that guy, you know, to play in what, three, three World Cups, you know, is, is something that not many people do. You know, that's that's you can only list maybe a handful of people who, who have done that. So, you know, and that's only one of, of many accolades and accomplishments that you have in those resumes. So, yeah, I can't wait for, for everyone to, to really hear this conversation. Man. Well, here's our conversation with Eddie Pope. So, Eddie, let's talk about. The MLS early days, right? You were drafted second in the first ever draft, right? Yes. Why? Why not first, man? I don't know, man. That's a great question. So Matt, Matt, Matt McCon, McKeon, Matt McEwen, yes, McEwen was yeah. first. Yes. Like, ha- have you made peace with that? Like, is there a point where you go, you know, I'm good with it because I think trajectory wise, I think you did all right. You know, I think I think you may have won that that race between the one and the two draft. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, at, I'm at peace with it. Um, and, and to be honest at the time, you know, I was happy to get drafted, you know, and I was surprised I was second. Um, so no, I'm, I'm, I'm at peace with it. That's fair. You were one of the original sort of mentors for me. I remember getting called into my first January camp and riding on 
in the vans with you to training and asking you questions that weren't even necessarily about on the field, but more like just advice, right? You were later in your career. Uh, this was 2006, January 2006, before the 2006 World Cup. And and you were a huge help in just helping me navigate life. I, I remember asking you questions about like love and things like that. And you were actually giving me practical answers, which, which helped me. I was 20, 21 years old at that point. And I want to you know, kind of go back in time to talk about your journey as a player and what what kind of got you to the point of having the kind of wisdom that you were able to share with me as you got later in your career. Um, you went to college at at UNC Chapel Hill. Yeah. You were also a kicker. <laughs> um, well, kind of. Yes, kind of. I mean, so long story short, kick field goals in high school, and um, my my kicking coach at the time, which I didn't know this, just gathered all of my videos and sent them off to schools, and. Um, one day I was coming out of the school and there was a guy with a all dressed in Carolina blue and was like, Hey, are you so-and-so? And I said, yeah, yeah. And he, and he was like, um, he was, yeah, um, we're interested in maybe you coming to kick for us. I, I mean, I, once I finished kicking in high school, I figured that was it. So then he was like, yeah, you know, we'd love to have you come kick for us. And, um, and you know, we'd be willing to offer you money. So at that point, you know, I was like, wow, well maybe this is something that I could, could, could think about doing. And so then long story short, I mean, I went there, Started kicking, did was doing okay in preseason, but I ended up getting hurt in uh, in soccer practice. So I was doing, I was actually at the time I was doing four days in in August, and I ended up getting hurt. I got a cut, and the cut got infected, and so that first two weeks there, I, I actually almost had to have my leg amputated, oh, wow. and um, I was in the hospital for a long time. And what ended up happening was I missed the beginning of the football season, but soccer hadn't started yet. So by the time I was healed. Boom! I was I just went in, redshirted football, played soccer, eventually never went back to football. So, kind of a crazy story. Dang! And then from there you went to 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 MLS. Yep, yep. Went from there to um, we had uh, the Olympic team at the time, um, U twenty threes, and then that just rolled right into to MLS with Bruce. Wow. Well, what a well, well. First off, man, multi-sport athlete, you know, <laughs> kicker for for a D one school. I don't know if uh, I don't know if Heath will Heath will ever be able to say. Oh, uh, first of all, <laughs> now listen. You go back. There are some websites that show that I was the number one kicking recruit in the country for class of two thousand two. Okay, I went to two college things. I kicked the field goals. You had to kick them. They recorded them from both hashes in the middle from 40, 45, and fifty. And this was early, early website days, obviously. And I was on top of those lists. You go back. My mom actually, listen, my mom actually was going through my stuff recently. And she said, look at all these letters you had from colleges for football and how few you had from soccer. That's what she said. (laughs) Obviously, as a kicker, right? It's different. But but, uh, you know, I had I had I had to clap back on that comment real quick. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for the clap back. I was waiting for the clap back. You know, this football world is so different than the soccer world. The environment is so different. Um, and for me, you know, we all grew up playing soccer. Once you kind of cross over into that football world, I mean, practice and everything's different. It's more rah-rah and um, it's a whole culture. Uh, but for me, I, I just preferred, you know, I preferred soccer. That was, that was my thing. Yeah. But, well, first of all, kickers don't even get enough love as it is. You know, it's like you miss one field goal and then it's like, oh, where's this guy? You, you make a field goal. Oh, yeah, we love you. But what happened in between? You know, all that in between action, you, you're not getting the love. You're not getting the, the hoorah, you know, that 
No. Show some love jo- to the kids. Josh, Josh Lambeau goes home every day, opens up his bank account, and that's the love he needs between choosing to become a goalkeeper in Major League Soccer at that time or a kicker in the NFL, you know? And, and yeah. he can hug he can hug any device that he's looking at it and feel good about himself uh, yeah. in, in comparison. That's fair. That's fair. That, that's fair. that is fair. Um, now, I got to ask for uh, for me, like I, I came up in MLS when, you know, modern day MLS, and, and we're talking like, now we're in negotiations talking about charter flights and, and, and you know flying here this the day before and two days before and this that and the other for for you the mls experience was a lot different you know the travel the competition you know can you elaborate on on, on what it was like back you know when you were playing for all of us right especially the the uh the early days um i, I was fortunate because i was at dc united you know bruce arena was a head coach there and one of the things that he made sure that we had was were great training facilities and, you know, at the time, our facilities were, were unheard of. I mean, we had a turf field, we had a grass field, we had um, accommodations right there. Um, our training facility was right there. You could walk out of the back door, you'd be right on the field. We had a weight room, um, we had an indoor basketball uh, area because it was it was actually the old Redskins, called Old Redskin Park, and the Redskins had moved on. So that was, I mean, for, so for that part, for me, I was extremely fortunate. And I know other players around the league didn't have those things. And as I moved on to other teams, then I got a, I got a taste of, of what they had. Um, I, I remember the days of, you know, Real Salt Lake even, which wasn't, you know, super long ago. But our changing room was in a strip mall. For for a time there, we were we were bringing our gear home and washing it ourselves and bringing it back. Um, we were meeting in the morning sometimes, not knowing where we were going to train, and you know sometimes training at schools even. Um, so there were some some grim times um, in regards to travel. You know, no charters, right? Tons of connections. Um, you know, all kinds of, of the regular hiccups that you would get as a as a um, regular person traveling. Um, we experienced all of those. And um, and then, you know, you were obviously expected to, to play. And it's already difficult traveling across the, the United States with, with it being so, so large and being able to play. So for me, I mean, it's, it's great to see that you guys have what you have now, right? Having some of the charters and um, having the, the $50 million training facilities. It's where we all wanted this game to get to. And you know, somebody has to be the pioneer. Right. And um, so I think a lot of us take pride in that. You, you see a lot of people talk about MLS. Uh, you know, I was just happy to play and it was a professional league and all these things. Was there also a moment where you're like, I know it could be better than this. I know because, you know, uh, from what I understand, the, the hotels weren't that great either. You know, food, if, if you got it, wasn't great. You know, that sort of, you know, I, great in comparison to what a professional athlete experiences now or a professional soccer player in the U.S. experiences now. Was that just the way it was or was it more of just like this is all part of the grind? No, I think I think people 100 percent recognize that things could be better and wanted changes. Um, I think there was a balance with how much um, you know the owners were investing at the time and how much money they may or may not have been losing. And it was trying to balance that. Um, but there were certainly things, you know, we called them lifestyle changes at the time. And, um, you know, whether it was, you know, um, we should have a post-practice meal. Right? That, that was a thing. And now every team does it. We should have we should have food when we show up in the mornings. Right. That had to to become a thing as, as well. And now it's, it's just normal. And um, and so amongst a lot of us, it was just about I want to feel like a professional. I want to feel like a professional athlete um, as opposed to an amateur athlete who's just trying to make it day to day. And um, and so some of those things, you know, they're, they, they they do affect your performance. Where is the hotel located? What kind of hotel is it? And, and, and we as a group of players at the time were interested in trying to improve those conditions. Um, and yeah, and it means it makes a, a big deal if 
as a team, you can choose to fly direct as opposed to saving money and connecting you know, once or twice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, they were just we call them lifestyle changes. And we knew that things could get better. Um, and, and it was trying to convince the league to do so. And again, balancing that with owners who were you know, they were losing money. And so I, I think we've gotten to a good place, obviously, um, like you like you're saying, you know, look where you're at now, right? It's it's things are, are much better. Training facilities are amazing. You guys eat well. The coaches are doing the right thing. The periodization is proper. I mean, all of those things now um, um, have gotten much better. And, and you get, in my opinion, a better product on the field. Absolutely. I've, I find it interesting because you bring up all these points. And, you know, we, we complain. We, yeah, I guess you can call it complaining or, or whining about flying in the same day of the match. You know, and, and again, that had a initially for especially at Philly, it had an effect on us, you know, in the beginning, you know, trying to get used to, to coming off the flight and getting in a hotel, sitting in a hotel and then playing the match and then leaving right after the match or coming back home. And then you do that again on Wednesday and then you do that again on Friday or Saturday. You know, that had an effect. So to hear you talk about, you know, these these little things that, that you don't necessarily like we take for granted now, but. But but those ultimately for a product on the pitch, you know, they all play a part in, in what you see. So I, I wouldn't say I'm a, I'm a diva, but but yeah, in the conditions that you come up in now to, to think like, oh, you know, what if we were in that position? How many guys would have said that? Ah, that's it. You know, I don't know if I can do this. You know, and that's a testament to, to the crop of players who came up, you know, and, and we're trailblazers for MLS now. So, you know, you mentioned periodization and this is something that, you know, as I've gone on to do my my coaching badges and things like that. You realize just how different periodization is in the U.S. from any most other places, domestic leagues in the world, right? Yeah. In terms of you don't have seven days, right? And whether you play Saturday or Sunday in most leagues, mm-hmm. it, it just shifts the periodization plan, whether you train twice, uh, uh, once a week or twice a week or, you know, moving the schedule around is a lot different because the seven days mean something different. When you add a flight day into the middle mm-hmm. of all that, that's a full day whether it's flying after the game and, and the and the consequences versus flying the next day and losing the day versus what's your regen day, what's your off day. Like it, it is completely different. And I think people don't understand. And then when you add connecting, right? Connecting through places that you're talking about a full day and then the exhaustion and then what, what travel does to your body physically, you know, it, it, it's something that I think people don't understand it until they, until they get to the league to understand that unless you're playing in, Russia or some of these other leagues that have those time zone differences in flights, you don't know what it's like to take a full day to travel for a game and play the next day. Again, you're right. Like you don't really realize it until you know differently in, in some cases. You know, I, one of the things that I, again, I talk about Bruce Arena a lot, but one of the things I think he did really well with the national team were charter flights. You know, getting, being able to get in somewhere, get rest, play, get out during qualifying and getting back home because you've got another qualifier after that. And the only way you're going to be able, be able to really do that is by chartering. And just as a game progressed, understanding, you know, those little things and how really important they are. Well, they seem little, but then they have a big effect on you. And so, you know, early on, I don't think coaches um, or or maybe coaches were battling owners, um, GMs. They're all, you know, all trying to figure out, you know, on a tight budget. You know, how do we how do we do that? And and unfortunately, I think that kind of got lost early on in the um, in in the the early days of MLS, um, because there was no thought really given the periodization it was just this is how it is deal with it most people are dealing are, are you're doing the same thing um you got to grind it out grind i think that's that's what it comes down to so uh so i i, I now i want to ask about you know he 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 intros you know he gives you the intro of a long list of 
of your accolades and, and the accomplishments that you have. You know, you 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 score the winning goal and you win the first ever uh, MLS Cup. You're named MLS 25 greatest players of all time. You know, this is, this, you know, it's a lengthy list, you know. So nowadays it's like any player who's who's taking those steps, you know, Oh, you go abroad right away. Like, what's what are you, what are you thinking? Why? Well, why didn't you move here? Why didn't you do that? For you, you didn't make that move. And and can you can you kind of go into to to what happened and, and, and your thought process, you know, behind staying and, and why you didn't go? You know, there there were some opportunities. I mean, there are times where I was planning on going. You know, maybe I was evaluating whether I was going to go somewhere that sounded really nice and sit versus staying and and actually playing. I didn't want to go somewhere and sit and then not be chosen for the national team. Um, that was, that played a role in it as well. There were times where um, transfer windows closed and I wasn't able to get somewhere. Um, so th- there were a couple of different things that happened. I can't claim and say that I wasn't interested in going at times and that um, I just turned all these offers down. Um, some of them just didn't, didn't work out. You know, for me, uh, I, you know, I felt like if I could play in MLS and play on the national team, you know, and, and, all the international experience that you do get there as well, that would maybe whet my appetite for the, you know, playing abroad and things like that. And it's just how it worked out for me. It's different now, right? I mean, the world is so small. You know, there's no internet really at that time, right? The world is so small and it's, it's everybody sees you on a million, a million different levels. There's a million different ways to see people um, and find players and things like that. And back then, I mean, it, it was, it was it was a significant move to, to go and play in, in a foreign country, especially with the lack of connectivity back to, for example, the United States. But again, I mean, I had some opportunities that just didn't work out. But I think looking back on it, had I gone somewhere and then kind of like, again, set on a second team or even set on a first team bench, would I have been able to uh, continuously be on the national team? There were I remember you telling me a few stories and maybe they're not appropriate for this for this forum <laughs> of failed moves abroad. Uh, do you have any anecdotal stories that you would share of of the early days of MLS or any things of like failed moves abroad, whether windows closing or things like that, that were out of your control, that were just a sign of the times? You know, early on, one of the one of the moves that I, I probably would have made was to was to Dortmund. And really, at the end of the day, the move was kind of done. It was close to being done, let's say. And a player that was supposed to retire for Dortmund decided to not retire and um, out of the blue and um, decided to stay on, which would have essentially, well, first of all, it reduced the contract that I was offered because then it bumped me to um, their second team. And um, so, so that was a tough decision. I mean, it was, you know, at the time, I didn't really know a lot about Germany. I didn't know a ton about teams in Europe. You know, it's completely different. The soccer was not even on TV um, at that time. And so I didn't know a, t- a lot about it. I, I was evaluating, you know, and, and by the way, we went back and forth several times with this contract and it, the numbers just kept getting lower and lower. And um, and then it got to the point where, okay, well, I'm, I'm not going to be on a first team. So I'm leaving a first team to go to a second team. Um, and plus the contract, you know, isn't as attractive as it was, as it was when, you know, after that, Second World Cup game in '98 when they were when they were talking to me, um, so that that's that was a move that just didn't pan out. Um, big club would have been nice, um, but it just didn't work out. Mark went through it with Celtic and then moving on to 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 Gank. I don't think people understand all of the moving pieces that go into a deal, right? They just see what's on the surface of like a headline or whatever. You know, I remember I had played against England at Wembley, and I get the call from from agent like, "Hey, uh, Gladbach's." coming in uh, on to, to to buy you from from Hansa Rostock and then 
the guys coming in to to make a decision tonight. We're going to sit down with him after the game. After the game ends, I find out like, oh, he didn't get on the flight. He didn't come because a player from Auxerre was freed from his contract and they don't have to buy anybody and they're going to go with him. And it was a done deal. Like we had discussed a million things yeah. and my mind was already in Gladbach, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I had a good game against England <laughs> and I thought it was done. And then find out, oh, he didn't even get on the flight. He didn't come to England. He didn't watch the game. A player from Auxerre was freed from his contract and he's now signed as as a left fullback and you know people don't understand the context of all these pieces and you sort of being a commodity in the grand scheme of things right the margin of error and differences between you and somebody else you versus somebody domestic the demands of an international player versus a domestic player all those types of things really weigh into you know how these decisions get made and it's not just as simple as like i want you you want me this is a done deal let's make it happen yep that's i mean that is exactly how it works i mean there are a gazillion moving parts Eddie, you played in three World Cups. Casual. casual yeah, three. Casual. Three. It's it's pretty it's pretty incredible. And you played every game in those three World Cups. Is that is that accurate? No, the first one, first World Cup, I didn't play the last game. And in 2006, I don't believe I played the last game. But every game that you were in, you were in the starting eleven. Every game that you played, you were you were yes. a starter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My whole dream, at least my generation, is different from Mark's generation. It's shifting to being like my dream is to play for Barcelona. My I never who was Barcelona, you know, <laughs> and even for your generation, even more so. But even mine was like ODP national team World Cup Olympics. That was it. That was the yeah. whole dream, right? Start okay. to finish. And so I was pre-programmed to being like, how is every minute I play for my club team going to get me closer to a World Cup? Yeah, I could move to Everton in the Premier League and know that I'm going to be behind Leighton Baines for the rest of my life and in my my goals of the national team. But I was so obsessed with every game. Like if I didn't play in, in the Bundesliga, I was like, dang, I'm not going to go to World Cup. I'm not going to play. It had this effect of like everything was this North Star of 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 the World Cup. Did you have that same goal? Was that was that your same goal? Every cycle was was a World Cup? No, I, I think it's a, it's a great question. You laid it out perfectly. That's how it was. For me as well, you were thinking, oh, can I be on ODP? Um, can I make the, the regional team, you know, which I never made, right? Or can I make a youth national team? And, and, and then it was like, can I make a World Cup team, right? Um, and, to, be you know, fair, to be fair, Eddie, you, you, you did suck in those regional team days, you know? <laughs> yeah, I've true. seen some of those old footage, you know? You didn't deserve <laughs> to make those teams anyway, you know? You got better late. You were a late bloomer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's, that's ain't nothing wrong, cool. wrong with a late bloomer, man. Uh, ain't nothing wrong with a late bloomer. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm uh, kidding. Yeah, you, uh, gosh, how old were you when I was playing those regional teams? Yeah, you're probably uh. an elementary. <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, and then for me, the first youth national team was a, with the U23s. I mean, it, it, if you could call that a youth national team, right? But so for me, yeah, the same, you laid it out so perfectly. It was, can you get on that Olympic team and then maybe play in, in a World Cup? That is how I looked at it. And, um, and and my thing was, gosh, if I can play, I have to play well with my my club team in order to be selected to, to get on the national team. And then you got to go into camp and you got to play well. Right. And, and then you have to hold down your spot for as long as you possibly can. And um, and all of those things are unbelievably difficult for me. Making the Olympic team was to this day one of the hardest teams to make. And and then, you know, national team is, is, is right there as, as well. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, that was my North Star also. You know, I, I play for Barcelona. I mean, I, again, I, I was, you know, that was so far-fetched um, for me that I couldn't even really comprehend that. It, it just wasn't a, a real goal because I didn't think it was obtainable. Mark, for you, obviously, 
And I do think it's shifting, right? We saw this happen in England where it became club over country. There's so much money in the game and not to be driven by money. Uh, and I know that you have the ambitions to play in a World Cup, which I think you'll do and I've, you know, and all those things. But how much of your mentality is about scaling the club world uh, versus like, if you do all that right, you're naturally going to go to a World Cup. Whereas for me, it was like every game mattered. How much of that is in your mentality, Mark, now versus like doing the right thing and knowing that you know, with the the scaling of your abilities at the club level to to bigger clubs and whatnot, the World Cup will come. Yeah, I think now it's it's shifted. You know, because again, we have so many players over in Europe. You know, we have so many players not playing for big clubs, so it's not a mentality of oh, you know, I, I'm gonna I need to play for this big club, and I'm not thinking about the national team. Nah, it's it's you know the national team is there and you 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 see it you know you have that 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 goal in mind but you understand also that you know for myself I got like I think we have a we have a deep center back roster you know but but each center back is playing at a, at a high level you know we have guy Matt Miazga playing at Anderlecht in, in the same league as myself we have John Brooks who's starting for Wolfsburg we have Chris Richards who's at Hoffenheim I can go down a list of guys you know but I'm just naming off a few who who are here. So I know that if I'm playing and I'm I'm locking down a starting spot and I'm playing every match, yeah, my opportunity is going to come with the national team, but I need to climb and I want to make sure that I'm now putting myself in a position to not weed out, but to, to, to step up, you know, and say, yeah, I'm here. You know, I can do this. You know, I play at the highest level. You know, I play against the best of the best on a weekly basis. And if you can play against the best of the best of the weekly basis with your club team, now you step into a national team environment where you're playing with the best of the best. And you're like, all right, bet I've, I've been doing this, you know, on a daily. You know, I know on a weekly basis that I'm going up against Mbappe on the weekend, you know, and then I got the French national team in a friendly in, in, in two weeks or three weeks or whatever when I'm with the national team again. So so I think that is, is kind of the mentality that a lot of guys have especially in my generation, you know, with, with so much talent and so much prospect um, that I wouldn't say, again, we don't, we, we neglect the national team, but it's a matter of knowing I have to, to really become a staple with my club team and become a staple at the, the most prominent club teams um, and do it consistently. Yeah. Eddie, I got a question for you uh, on, on the context of, of generations. Cause I want to get your take on, on the generation that we're in. Obviously, the, the the failed generation that we had going into the 2018 World Cup, there was an influx of privilege that wasn't part of the national team before, right? Club team success, of financial success, of all these things that could, in theory, throw the balance off of what, what, what the national team was. Yeah, I mean, I think chemistry is important. You know, if you've got a, a group of players and they just don't have good chemistry, and when you watch them play, it's it's almost like, well, I'm, I'm really watching 10 individual field players play this game. Um, it's really tough because, as you know, qualifying in CONCACAF is, is a lot of it is emotional. Um, a lot of it is just heart and passion. You know, it, it's now the game has changed quite a bit since since I've been playing. And, and, and there's certainly an element of of tactics and technical ability and things like that. But a lot of it is emotional. And um, if you if you aren't together as a group and you don't have, a, you know, the common goal in mind, maybe one guy's thinking about, well, hey, I've got this match in two or three days and I've got this match against this really big club team. And, two, and you can't focus on on the task at hand. It just you just if you're at ninety nine percent, you're going to take an L. And I mean, and if you're ninety nine percent in Honduras somewhere, 
you are going to take an L. And so, and that can happen to anyone. And we saw with Trinidad and Tobago. It's just, a, it's the CONCACAF region is such a tricky region to qualify in. At least it used to be players maybe would come that were playing in Europe. It, it's chaotic, right? CONCACAF is chaotic. The ball's flying all over the place. It's, it's, at times it's more about athleticism than it is about being organized and, and keeping possession. Sometimes it is about just lumping the ball on the other end, getting pushed up and pinning them and, you know, and just nipping a goal. It's it can be a different animal, but at a minimum, I think for me when I looked at at, at that team, it, it was the chemistry. Players were good enough, I think. Coaching is good enough, all those things. But sometimes you just don't have the chemistry, and um, you can have the talent, and and then things just don't come together for you. You had the, the opportunity, you know. I uh, I worked with uh, Ernie Stewart back when I was in, in Philly Union's academy. You know, he was a mentor for me, a guy, you know, who, who helped me in my development hugely. Um, and then we had another legend, Kobe Jones, on the podcast uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Another legend. Um, three black soccer players on the national team together. What 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 was it like, what, you know, when you guys were all playing together, you know, at that time? You know, because now we look at, you know, we talk there's so much talk today about bringing in representation, you know, bringing more diversity into the game. Um, and to look back and say, wow, you know, we had three black players, you know, at the time who were, who were doing it at the highest level. And all who were, who were inducted into the Hall of Fame in the same and year. And all Hall of Famers, you know. So, so, so what was that experience like for you guys, you know, coming up and, and being the trailblazers, you know, for, for the guys like myself? Um, you know, again, with we see, again, how much work is, is being done now. Um, but before, you know, before we had the the Twitter and the, the 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 trends and the tweets and the posts and the hashtags, all of that, you guys were there. You guys were in it. What, can, can you can you kind of tell me a little bit about that? You know, at that time, you know, whether it's like Ernie, you know, Kobe, um, you know, Tony Santa. I mean, we, you know, there were you know black players that were involved in the national team. Um, we all came up out of a um, a youth system um, where there weren't a lot of black kids playing soccer. You know, you, you are often the only black player on your team. Sometimes the only black player in the area, you know, you go games without seeing another black player. So I think for us making it as far as we did as black players in a system that wasn't built to support us was a big deal. And, um, and I think we all recognize that, you know, Ernie's a little bit different coming out of Europe, but, you know, you can imagine he probably had the same sort of issues. So I think, you know, we certainly, took pride in that. It's not easy to make it. You know, we, we all have had, had our stories of playing in certain areas and having, you know, and, and, and having our, um, our issues with racism, racist players, racist coaches, referees, you know, and overcoming those things as well and still being able to, um, to make it um, at, at a high level. So, I mean, those, those things are important. And, and I think now that the, the disappointment that we have is that we still don't see a lot of representation on our sidelines for guys like yourself, you know, how many black coaches can do you really have to look at, look up to, you know, in the front offices, we're still lacking that black representation. I don't know, Heath, if you know, I'm part of a group called score. Um, and, um, you know, our goal is to increase um, the representation of black people in front offices on the sidelines, GMs, technical directors, sporting directors, scouts across the board. Um, and I, I, it's hard to explain to people um, how important it is for someone like yourself when you're playing in the United States, for example, or even on a national team, to have a coach that looks like you means a lot, right? It means a lot. For me, I had Clive Charles in the national team, which meant a lot to me, um, someone I could talk to. 
um, and, and, and speak to it just in a different way. Um, it's just how it is. And um, so, you know, that's what we want to work on along with the league. And uh, I can tell you one thing, I do think the league is invested in doing that. They just hired um, a DNI, head of DNI, mm-hmm. Shola Windley. And um, so they're, they're, they're going to work with us. They're going to work with Black Players for Change, Players Association, and, and other groups to be able to, um, to start to increase that, that representation. And, um, you know, it's, been, it's long going. It's going to take a long time. Um, but, you know, we're interested in moving now. We're interested in making those changes immediately. The last coaching cycle um, to me was a little disappointing. And um, you know, hopefully the next one, as it, as it comes up, we'll start to make a little more progress um, in, that, in that battle. But I mean, the good news is I think everybody's paddling in the same direction. Everybody wants change. I think everybody's committed to change. Uh, Don Garber said he's committed to change and uh, wants to work hard um, to get things done, understands that, it, that it's going to be a lot of hard work. Um, so that's the silver lining in all this. I think we all feel like things can be done better. But for me, the most important thing is, is to recognize that it is important for young black players like yourself. It, at some point, if you're back in the U.S. and you've had a great uh, career, nice long career, and now it's time to move into a front office or somewhere else, we, we, we want that to be a real option for you. Right now, it, it wouldn't be. Right? So that's the change that we're looking to make moving forward. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I don't think I can name, I think the only black coach I had as a youth was my dad, you yeah. know? <laughs> so yeah. I remember as a, as an eight, as a nine-year-old, uh, I was the only black kid on my, my youth team. And, you know, I had an incident where, you know, my dad, he worked hard for, for, for his, he worked hard for his paper, his bread, you know, he was working two jobs, traveling late night, you know, coming back, waking up at 4 a.m., getting back home at, at 11 o'clock at night, getting four hours of sleep, five hours of sleep, going back and doing it again and again and to put food on the table, keep lights on, to keep clothes on my back, to, to be able to have the opportunity to send me to, to these camps and these uh, to yeah. play travel ball, you know, to play at these tournaments. Um, and I got a pair of boots and they weren't the high end boots that all my teammates were getting, you know, all the $150, $160. No, these were the, the $35 pair. But for me, it was special because, you know, I see how much, you know, the work ethic and all the, the, the process that goes in behind it. You know, so I'm appreciative of any opportunity I get to wear to step on the pitch one, but to wear the boots as well. And then they got me a second pair for my birthday. And that was like the $80 pair. And that was like my treasure pair. And I step on the pitch and. The guys are like, ah, what are those? You know, like this was back before. What are those? It was like the thing. Right, right. It was like, you know, it was like, ah, you know, those little cheap things. You know, those are gonna tear in three or four days. Blah blah blah. And for me, you know, I didn't have anybody to like lean on. You know, I was like, because these kids come from prestigious, you know, families. You know, these families were lawyers, doctors, um, families with, you know, with with finances and resources to 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 get, you know, to where to wherever they want to go. Um, so I was like my my. One of, you know, several, several instances where I just felt like the eyeball out, you know, and so to have a to have somebody to have a coach say, hey, come on, guys, you know, what are you doing? You know, so to have somebody who may be able to understand and, and bring me back, you know, that that for me is just something that, that I missed out on. But but I try to this day to, to be that for, for other kids coming up. You know, I do my best to to, to, to talk to a lot of the youth, you know, even the, the youth players coming up, you know, they're. <laughs> they got some big heads now. I'm not gonna lie, but 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 to, to humble them and let them know, you know that that it may be all sugar and sweet now, um, but there's there's also reality that comes with, with being black, you know. So so to understand, like we're we're we've come a long way, but we still have a ways to go, um, and, and you need to be that light for for you know somebody else. But for you, you were that that guy for me, you know that that gave me the the inspiration to to keep pushing. I appreciate that, and 
I think you make a good point. Now, your dad being, you know, the, the black coach that you've had, the only one, um, and, you know, they talk about that within within schools, right? They ask black people, how many black teachers did you have growing up? And that, for me, zero, right? And, and there's there's there have been studies that have been done that if you can have a black teacher um, at some point during your um, your your you know elementary school, middle school, high school, your chances of graduating go through the roof. I mean, it's a huge increase with just one black teacher. So it, it, it can show you, it's hard sometimes to quantify, but it can show you how important just having that individual in your life, someone that looks like you. I mean, you can you can take that and you can apply it to soccer, right? Um, it's, it's the same concept. So, you know, again, we're working on it and, and I'm happy that, that um, you know, I was there for, for other young black players to, to try to aspire to, look up to. And, um, and I'm sure when you're older, you'll do the same. Appreciate that. You were the director of player relations at, uh, at the Players Union until 2015. You're obviously still working in soccer as a, as a player's agent. Is that yep. the most accurate way to, to, to put that? Um, what, are you, what are your thoughts on sort of the current state of the league, the recent labor disputes, and just sort of, uh, you know, what do you hope to see uh, on where the league is at and, and, and where it's going? Well, you know, the, in regards to the labor dispute, I mean, you know, we, we when I was finished playing and, and then joined the, the Players Association, my, my goal was to um, improve the working conditions for players, um, to, to, be, to help do that, to be a part of that. Um, and, and again, we talked about the lifestyle changes and that at that time, that's all you could really get were some changes here and there. Um, but they were important. And I, and I think, um, you know, looking at players today, they've, they've benefited from a lot of those labor disputes and, and battles. Um, you know, it, it's once deals are over, it's always up. And, and then you have to, uh, kind of get back to the negotiating table and, and every time you try to get a little bit more. Um, so I think, um, if things are moving in the right direction, we always want them to move faster. Obviously, um, I think that that players are um, much better, faster, and younger. It's been good to see things go from where they were with me to where they are now. I mean, that's been really exciting. And um, so, I mean, we just hope things continue to grow. Players are getting better. Like Mark, you can end up overseas at big clubs now. Um, and the numbers of players is, is pretty impressive. So yeah, man, I'm I'm excited about it. Eddie, be, before we get to some closing rapid fire for you, do you have any crazy Concacaf stories of uh, that you that you have off the top of your head that 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 give some context to how hard it is to go into some of these countries and qualify? You know, everybody's got some sort of story, whether it's noise outside the hotels, whether it's violence, whether it's, you know, getting hit with uh, coins, lighters, you know, bags of pee. Like, do you have one off the top of your head that you could share with us to, to, to give some context around around just, you know, uh, soccer in the region? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to, like, kind of get them organized in my brain. There's so many. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, I, listen, you name, like, everything that happens. Uh, but, but, but for me, I mean, I think the one that was um, – it was pretty interesting is Costa Rica, right? When they used to play in the old Saprissa stadium or they used to play in the Saprissa stadium and, um, and to, and to go out, you'd have to walk underneath the stands basically. So that the, the, the tunnel is like right there. And then above you, there are fans that are just sitting above you. And so I'm walking out and I, and I think it was, I think it was Paul Caligiuri. I, I may be mistaken. So sorry, Paul, if I got that wrong, but I think it was Paul Caligiuri and he's, and we're walking, he's, he's about, 
you know, five in front of me, starting to go down to the, the tunnel. And all of a sudden, as, as I see him going, I, I, I'm looking and I see like this orange like mist just kind of like coming down, like over the doorway, just and I'm getting closer and closer. And he just walks through the mist. And then I get a little bit as the wind changes and it was mace and he just walked right through it. So then I froze and he's going in now, now he's in, underneath the tunnel, but he's, he's like grabbing his eyes or, or, and everything. And um, so then I'm standing there trying to figure out how am I going to get into the locker room? So I go over to the right-hand side where the Costa Rican players are coming through and they're trying to spray, but I just kind of got in the middle of all of them. And then I, I got inside. But once I got in there, they were pouring water in, in Paul's eyes, trying to get the, the you know the mace out out of his eyes. So I mean, that's you know one of those quick quick stories. But I mean, you're right. You know, we have a million of them, right? I mean, it's it's like all kinds of stuff going on. I mean, and the wish is that we do that here. You know, let's let's have a uh, turnabout is fair play. So can we do that here at all? And we do the best we can. Right? We we'll play when it's really cold because it doesn't really bother us, and we'll figure out some ways. Um, but you know, fire alarms, all those things are it's tough to do here. Uh, you see, I don't. You see, I need, man. I'm looking forward to having these stories. Y'all got like filing cabinets with these stories, man. I'm, 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 I need to, I need to, to start tapping in. I'm, I gotta join this. I gotta join this group of uh, this group of guys with these. Because he always talks about it, you know, and his his uh, black and white clips. Yeah, but oh, the black yeah. yeah, he like they hit me with that black and white joke too. A lot. Yeah, you know this these young these these kids don't get it. But I, I will tell you that like it is one of those things that you'll never be able to explain to people who haven't lived it. I sat in the Saprissa Stadium. They moved it back to Saprissa in the 2010 cycle, and I oh, was right. yeah. I was I was in the stands when the U.S. went down three zero in the first half or three one something like that. I don't remember specifically. And we were in a box and it's all open, but the players that weren't in the roster that day were in a box. And that place was absolutely terrifying from start to finish. It's on turf. The whole place is shaking. It's bouncing. And you can't contextualize that to people of what that fear is like when things are being thrown at you, when the final whistle happens and everybody runs, uh, you know, inside, like you can't, I can tell you, I can, I can explain it. I could give you the details. I could walk you through it, but until you're in it and you get that fight or flight moment or that feeling before a game even starts, you realize what a home field advantage is. You realize that it's not just 90,000 in Dortmund screaming where you can't hear. There's a whole nother level to this home field advantage where you feel like not only do I feel far from home, but I don't actually feel safe right now. I don't feel like I am in control of my life. For me, the, the first time seeing, um, the quote unquote guards who really aren't there to guard you, but with, you know, with AKs or whatever, whatever it is, right. ARs and, and holding you know, German shepherds in there and they're in the stadium and they have guns. You're like, wait a second. So why, why does that even, <laughs> yeah. why do you need those? Yeah. You know? so every time you, you go to that environment, you think you, you start thinking and you're right. It's so closed in the stands kind of go straight up. The noise is deafening. Now, while it is an, you know, an unbelievably intimidating, intimidating place to play, um, the environment is one that you cherish, right? You're like, this is this is what it's all about. Well, it's rocking and rolling and people are throwing things. Um, it, it, it's a dangerous environment, but it's it's a great, great soccer experience. Big motivator. I got to get on this. We're going to wrap up with some rapid fire questions. Don't, don't think too much about them. Just instinctive, off the top of your head, answer. All right, you ready? Mm-hmm. All right, favorite player of all time. Oh man, like, how can I not think about that one? Uh, favorite player of all time? Probably say Henri. 
Okay. I thought you were going to say Heath Pierce. But um, all right. <laughs> Favorite U.S. men's national team player of all time? All Heath time, Tim way. Howard. <laughs> okay. Tim. All right. Tim. And then last is uh, we, we have a public Spotify playlist, and we're having all our guests throw on a track. We've got a, a good list. Um, he threw on Biggie, Dead Wrong. I threw on Nice Kenala. What are you? What are you throwing on here? It could be anything you're feeling now. It could be a pregame song. It could be something. Yeah, anything. Kobe threw on Tupac, California Love. I'm more of like an R and B. Okay. So I'd probably say Erica Badu, Other Side of the Game. Okay. Okay. Tap into the R and B. I yeah. told you he. I'm getting look. One of these yeah. days, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna drop my song. One of these days, yeah. <laughs> I like that. All, all Mark, all Mark has been wanting is to get his microphone out there, not so we can do the podcast regularly, but so we can start singing into it. You better believe it. You better believe it. I got songs written in notebooks and on my phone. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah you definitely gonna have to let that go. <laughs> yeah, I gotta I'd like to hear that. <laughs> Listen, we'll, we'll, I'll figure I'll figure out a, a platform to drop it on. Might, okay. Okay. Might throw a couple songs on the public spot. I'll play this, you know, just slide them right in there. You know, nobody knows. But cool. Well, Eddie, thanks so much for joining us, man. Your 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 perspective and and your experiences. You know, we appreciate you sharing them because they're invaluable for us, for the people that listen, and and for the growth of the game. So we appreciate you taking the time and and uh, appreciate all that you're doing for for the sport, uh, both as as a player and now. Uh, in, in your post-playing career. No, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. No, thank you. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And just from a young guy, thank you again for everything you, you've done and, and, and continue to do. So uh, you're, you're a goat in our eyes. Yeah, thanks so much, man. Well, best of luck moving forward. And I appreciate it. Appreciate it. So, yeah, what a guy. What, what a guy you are as well, Mark. I got to say, I'm just surrounded by just good guys. We are going to get some good women on this as well. But like, you know, so far, it's just been some really, really good guys. Uh, and, and your performances just continue to improve. Well, first and foremost, uh, you know, I think I think this has been a team effort, as, I, as I've said in previous previous podcasts. Yeah, I think you are, are a really you're a budding star, you know, in this in this industry. And I'm I'm honored to be able to, to co-pilot this thing with you. So so Heath, really, really take a bow, man. Take a bow. I, I appreciate that. That's a that's a very nice, nice uh, compliment. But the, la- the last thing I wanted to say on on Eddie, which which I found interesting is a lot of times generationally. Right. And we joke about this on the pod a lot is is like. All the old boys talk about what everybody's making now and the next generation, this and that. Like Eddie went from playing to working with the players union, right? And that's a lot. Like people don't realize what that means in in context to a guy who's, you know, built his whole career, made good money, played in three World Cups, but like is fighting so that the next guys will make 10x. And the guys are making 10x what he made, right? In terms of like salaries and stuff. Like that's a hard thing to come, come to. Like I look at now and I see guys in my position I see what the deals are and I go, wow, you know, like, man, it would be nice to be playing in this. And and to know that he went straight, like straight into that world that was willing to make a difference immediately for the next generation. I think it's a testament to his character, you know, to, again, step off the pitch and, and jump right into to trying to make make the, the lives of the next generation better, you know, as footballers, you know. Um, for me, you know, he, I'm part of that, you know, I'm part of that, that, that generation that he's, he's helped, you know, tremendously. Um, but again, it's, 
you don't see many times where somebody who is who earned a lot less or who was able to experience you know the the luxuries of, of the game you know now want to now say okay well it needs to be even better you know for for when you know the the next crop of players come through the the league or through u.s soccer or whatever it is also so i am, am now stepping into that role and, and wanting to do that even though i'm still playing but he's he's kind of trading you know made the way he's the he's the not even the train he's the the, the trailblazer there it is. that's the word i was looking for he's, he's the trailblazer so yeah big credit to him and, and it's incredible to be able to have a conversation with him and just talk about his experiences you know both on and off the pitch you know as, as a player as a as a man as a you know influencer uh, in, in the agency you know agency field and in the players players union now so so yeah it's a great great conversation with a, with a great guy great human being well that's it that's our podcast uh we appreciate all of you guys for listening and of course you can find us on social at slice of soccer make sure that you share this with your friends leave a rating uh give a review all those things help us get found by more people and we want to keep this thing going um but we appreciate all of you guys subscribing and 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 being part of this journey with us and uh mark and i will see you guys next time peace